0: Welcome to another edition of Cattails, the Weber State Athletics Podcast. I'm Paul Grua, along with Weber State Athletic Director Jerry Bovee here for another podcast. And looking forward to talking to some of the people around and involving Weber State Athletics. First up, Joel Bass. You've seen him on the sidelines. You've seen him on the bench right next to Coach Ray there. Uh, he is the head athletic trainer, the associate athletic director for support, student support services is his official title. He is in his 27th year at Weber State Athletics. Joel, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's good to be here. We're excited to, to talk with you, and uh, you know, Jerry, he's one of people that have been here longer than perhaps anybody. He's right there with Nancy Weir, who's been here a long, long time, too, and uh, Joel's a big part of our athletic program.
1: I've known Joel for a long time. Uh, Joel was an Aggie, and I'd hear about him from uh, his one of his mentors up there, Dale Mildenberger, and... And then I worked with him uh, as we'd come up here for state tournaments for the high school association and uh, watched him work on the sideline. And when I got the job here as athletics director, I was told by a, a veteran that was mentoring me a little bit, said, always listen to what your trainer says. They hear everything that's going on in the department. They hear what the athletes are saying when they're being taped. They're in coaches' huddles. They're in locker rooms. You pay attention to what your your trainers are telling you and you'll get a vibe for what's going on in your program and the culture. and and over the years, Joe and I have uh, been able to form a fast friendship and, and a good relationship of trust, and he's an integral part of our program here, uh, not just taping ankles and doing what, what he's really, really good at, but also as an administrator and, and part of our senior team.
0: How does that sound,
2: John? Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> really, really like that. Uh, those are good words. I think so, too.
0: <laughs> Let me get some of the uh, things out of the way. First of all, you're a native of Texas.
2: Yeah, I grew up in Alvin, Texas. Alvin, Texas, North which North is country.
0: Okay, located near Dallas. Uh, south yeah. of Houston. South of Houston, excuse <laughs> me. All the way okay. to
2: Galveston. It's a big state, Paul. Yes, Small it is. I it they Dallas. They have had it. for years a really good junior college, so Alvin Junior okay. College has always competed well, small town of Alvin, Texas.
1: Dad was an administrator and a coach and a high school administrator?
2: Yeah, I was uh, superintendent of schools. Uh, he started out uh, teaching history and was a football coach. And we were just a complete football family living down in southern Texas. Uh, football is your whole world there. Uh, if you didn't play football, you weren't anybody. So uh, I grew up uh, aunts and uncles coaching football.
0: There you go. Went to Indiana State University where you got uh, a ma- your master's degree. But first, you played you played football at Ricks College. Is that right? Yeah, I played.
2: Uh, I played for Ron Hahn. Okay, there you go. Raider. Yeah, and he became the head coach the year after I left, and uh, and then eventually Ron came up to coach with uh, Ron McBride. Yes, here. he did. It was fun yes, to, he uh, did. Get, get back with him and. But you gotta,
1: go down to St. George, and everybody knows Ron Hahn in the, the southern end of the state. What position
0: did you play in college? I
2: played running back. I how was, good, how uh, good were you? I was all right, I guess. <laughs> well, you has been hit. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> I've been hit <laughs> a couple of times.
0: <laughs> and then you went to Utah State, where you earned your bachelor's degree, right, in, in exercise science. Yeah, I got
2: connected with uh, Dale Mildenberger. I uh, served an LDS mission, returned home. And I uh, started thinking about what I should do as a career and, and got connected actually with, uh, uh, his last name was Black at Snow College. And he, uh, he got me introduced to uh, Dale Mildenberger and, and I applied to the program and went up and met and uh, Dale said that they didn't have room for me. And I said, well, I'm coming anyway and when you get room I'll be here. And he said, "You know what? We've got room for you." It was like his old test, Middle crew. Yeah, exactly. So it was too. fun in those days—a
0: little different uh, operation. So I when say. did your interest in athletic training even start? What did you even think about that? Well, I had a, um, I had a coach in high school that
2: dabbled a little bit in the athletic training world, and it started to get me interested. My dad took some college or some classes at the University of Houston and actually as a high school student got to go to the University of Houston and meet their head athletic trainer and see what he did and that started the interest so it was a long time ago I was I have old classmates from high school saying it's really uh, unique that you started talking about the things you wanted
0: to do in high school and then you end up doing those for the rest of your life Mm, that's true uh, then you went on to Indiana State, master's degree. Went to Indiana State. Had
2: just some great instructors there. The famous Ken Knight, who is one of the world world known in in cryotherapy or cold therapy, and and uh, Mc, Doctor McDavid was there. He's the inventor of all the McDavid knee braces that you see out. Uh, Bob Benke, who was the chair of the the board of. Uh, 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 education uh, with NATA and um, just an amazing staff there, uh, which uh, Indiana State has uh, the largest alumni around the country in athletic training. They've always had a large uh, program and put out some good people. So I really got lucky and stumbled into that program and uh, was just uh,
0: really blessed to be able to go up there and learn. Good for you. We should mention also, of course, that anybody that's associated with Weber State also should know your wife, Beth Bass, who works here and worked here a long time as well. And, and the two of you went off to Montana State, right, for your first job out of college? We did. I, I stopped by uh, Weber State and uh, applied
2: for the job here um, and uh, didn't get very far in the process, but ended up at uh, Montana State. I uh, was there for three years working with uh, Chuck Karno. Who was the head athletic trainer there at the time and he was a seasoned person again and uh, we really had a good team position up there and so I've been able to run across some really good people in the field of athletic training
0: and then been here we in 27 years 27 years I grew wow. up here yeah basically huh? <laughs> I got the
2: job um, it, I got the job a, a month after I turned 30 Wow so uh, you know, There's been a few
1: people try to steal him away. One that I can remember uh, really working him hard. Um, but you know, Joel and Beth, this is—they're part of the institution and they're they're part of the fabric of Weber State, and and we weathered that storm a few years back,
0: and I think we got him. So changes—the changes you've seen—I would imagine in 27 years of how athletic training and support for student athletes has changed has got to be dramatic in 27. years.
2: Well, when I got here, of course, Nancy was here. Yeah. So uh, it was myself and Nancy and three students. And quickly I found a few more students. So we had six students. And uh, we, we did have uh, Bill Drake, who uh, was our grad student, and he's now um, assistant athletic director uh, at Gonzaga. And father of
0: Emily Drake yeah, from our father women's Basketball Benjamin team. Drake.
2: Yeah. And uh, it, it, it ages me when I see um, a lot of our former athletes that have been here that have kids that are
0: now that are yeah, athletes as too. well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, well, so. you must love it, though. You must just love being around the athletes and, and, and the sports, of course, but also involved in the medical side and the, and the training side, too.
2: Yeah, I love doing it. Uh, I I don't think that it's a job that you can do a long time if you can't figure out a way to do it uh, with as little stress as possible. Just to, because uh, athletics is nothing is it, nothing but high energy. Uh, everything's on demand. Uh, it's it's every day. It seems forever trying to get an athlete back. It's, it, it can be a high-stress yeah. job. You never know what's going to come your way any given day, um, what what you would have to be prepared for. So you have to figure out a way to deal with that and make it as easy as possible. So uh, I've been lucky to be able to do that. It's it's fortunate. And uh, it's it's been, you know, I talked one day... Uh, Uh, to all my mentors and was able to thank them for giving me a skill that would allow me to be in the presence of great individuals for so many years. It has to play an impact in your own life as you rub shoulders with recruited and great people year after year after year. It has to make a big difference.
1: So you've, you've seen uh, changes in how we treat athletes, uh, heat versus cold versus back to heat. It's sometimes, sometimes a little bit cyclical, but in the area of, uh, you know, you've been very involved in concussions. What have you seen from the time you started and how we, because the brain is such an interesting organ in the body. What have you learned and what have you seen and, and where do you feel we are today with, with our treatment in that area?
2: Well, some of the big changes is our mentality in concussions. Um, our mentality has changed from getting a, uh, our bell rung or uh, getting dazed to, hey, this is a, this is a serious organ that we're talking about. It's something that we're going to use our whole life and needs to work well. And we've just become a lot more serious about. Uh, treating that uh, the concussion as something that can be long-lasting and can really affect us for our entire lives Uh, there were there were there was information out years ago that that uh, once you recover from your concussion that you really had a a very slight chance of long-lasting symptoms and that's just not the case and so we become a lot more cognizant about um, when we get a concussion Uh, that they should not uh, return to play until they can be adequately uh, clear, diagnosed that their symptoms are completely resolved, and we have better tools. Uh, Because of that awareness, uh, there's been a lot of money spent in the area of of assessment and return-to-play strategy. Um, We've always... uh, had a had a uh, sense of removing a kid from play, but haven't always been as intelligent about when is the safest time for them to return. Mm. So it's uh, it's become um, a really uh, front uh, front line uh, attack in our healthcare that we we just really consider the brain and we have a ways to go. It's not a perfect science. It continues to change. There's going to be things coming out that we'll learn and get better. Yeah,
1: Um, you you know, you've worked with a lot of doctors over the years, too, and I've noticed in my time here, but in other places, um, you know, the medical industry has changed so much over the time that you've been in it, and uh, you have a lot more specialization with the doctors that you work for and work with, but but a trainer has to kind of be the catch-all, be-all to everything. And, you know, someone will come down. I've seen it all the time. I've come down. i got a little little ache right here. And you'll diagnose it and talk about the muscle and, and the body. T- talk a little bit about what it takes to be really good at what you do and how, you, how the doctors will rely on you a lot of times because, you know, their specialized training is in one area. You have to be knowledgeable in all of it.
2: Yeah, here's where's where my knowledge gets strong and where it can get weak. If it's a younger kid, um, the younger you get, the farther away from the age population that I'm used to working with, which is 18 years old to 25. If you get older than that, that starts getting a little bit away from the things that I'm comfortable with. So uh, that age group, I really get in the groove of being able to recognize and pick up things from that particular age group. There's some things that I don't have to worry about because that's what happens when you're 70, not when you're 25. So um, I can focus in that way. There are a group of families, particular things that we typically see happen with athletes. I can become specialized in those particular types of injuries, and I see them all the time. Um, I'm able to rub shoulders with physician after physician after physician in every discipline. And over the years, it allows you to accumulate a, a, a foundation of knowledge that is very difficult to get if you're in your own office dealing with your people all the time. I'm always bumping shoulders with every area of medical care Mm -hmm. in the community and the
1: consultation that happens is pretty amazing isn't it
2: it's it's amazing and uh, because every day is critical in our world we're always getting their best they those docs are always on their toes wanting to um to be creative And figure out ways to make to make the world of athletics mesh with medicine.
1: Yeah, and I've watched you over the years how you push some uh, back on some docs where you know their world is working with the general public. They have time; they always have time. You don't have that luxury when you're working in athletics because of the pressure from the athlete to get back into the competitive arena, from the coaches, and, and for you. So I've seen you kind of push back on the docs that say, yeah, they need, a, they need a month here. And you go, no, wait a second. It's It's been interesting to watch you collaborate because of the perspectives, right?
2: Yeah, every injury is a negotiation. And it's an educating process for the athlete and parents and for the doc. You know, sometimes I put in a position that I need to educate this doctor in the position that they're playing. and The demand that's going to be on their body, sometimes they would need to be a little more conservative, and sometimes they can be a little bit more aggressive. If I can get their confidence to say, look, with this injury we can protect it, and in that protection they can probably play, then then we can be a lot more aggressive. And then there's times where an athlete wants to be a little more aggressive than what really makes sense, and they're really, uh, in retrospect, they would think, wow, that was a dumb thing to do, uh, to educate them and make it clear to that athlete and parent of what uh, really what the risk is that they're taking. That Sometimes we slow down the process, sometimes we speed it up. So, it's, uh, so I'm always in the middle of the negotiation, which is a fun thing to do. So
1: what have you learned about communication? Because you... You have to help others get there, um, and I've, you know you become very good at your communication skills. But what have you learned over the years? Well,
2: the key uh, to the in the communication in my world is the ability to make complex things simple. And if you can take a complex idea and simplify it, and make it easy to understand, then ninety percent of your job is
0: accomplished. We're talking with Joe Bass, the associate athletic director and head trainer at Weber State in his twenty-seventh year overseeing all the aspects of Weber State Athletics and student-athletic training. All right, we want to get to some stories before we're done, though. Tell us some of your craziest injuries that you've had to deal with. Uh,
2: I had a, a football player that came to me and said, I think I cut my finger off.
0: During a game, right?
2: It was in a scrimmage. Okay. And I said, you know what? It, you probably smashed it and can't feel it. So I said, why don't you just take your glove off and let's take a look at it and takes his glove off and his finger the end of his finger's not there Ooh. and so I'm, i said where's that glove at <laughs> <laughs> and so we got the glove and cut the end of the finger out of the glove and s- squoze the finger into a plastic bag and we got it cold and sent him over to the Katie <laughs> house so wow. that was that was a su- surprise that kind of caught me off guard that was a serious one we, <laughs> Uh, it's it's uh, you've seen all kinds. It's again. it's you just never know what yeah. what uh, these kids are going to come up with next on the injuries that you see. But, you know we see all the, the common ankle sprains and and knee injuries and muscle injuries.
0: So I've noticed it. You know when we get somebody that gets hurt in a game and everybody's like, oh, how long is he going to be out? When's he coming back? And a coach might say, oh, I don't, you know, but it seems like the coaches say, whatever Joel says, go. Sort of <laughs> and you kind of are the one that has to decide. There's a pressure there. Are you coming back? Are you, is he, is this athlete ready or not? We've seen that with countless cases that we can think of, you know. What's that like for you? So
2: when I'm put in that position, uh, for me to make the very best decision that I can, I, I try to pool any and all the information that I can get. Um I'll get as much information as I can from our, our physicians that we have on the sidelines. But ultimately it comes down to every, everything that I can see from the injury, everything I can get from our physicians. I just have to rely on, if this was my kid, would I put him back in? Yeah. Tough call. And, and, um, you know, sometimes they're taking a risk, you know, athletics is about taking risks and kids get hurt in athletics, but there has to be a limit to it. So, um, that's usually what goes in my mind is that, that if that was my kid, would I feel comfortable with the knowledge that I have right now with him going back in and playing? And uh, it's, uh, it's a fun thing to do. It's, it's a fun thing to be able to make an assessment within minutes in the heat of a game and make the right decision. Be honest. You get excited when you see somebody kind of slow to get up, or <laughs> yeah. And you know, in this in this level of football, particularly in football, we're not very deep in our skill level. We we can be pretty good in our number two man, but when we go three deep, we can get we can really run out of talent in a hurry. And the athletic trainer can really be effective in the success of the team in keeping the best players on the field we just don't have disposable positions so um you really feel like you're playing a role in the, su- the success of a game if you're able to make a decision that allows a kid to play safely when if you were a little bit in question and you hold them out as a result of that you lose the game and uh and you really get a sense of adrenaline going. Yeah, I bet. And, and because of that, I always fall back on, I have to consider the health of this kid. And if it was my kid, I would certainly be concerned about it. Sure, health. sure. So, so I really, I, I use that as yeah. a barometer.
1: So there's a glamour to this, um, this what we do in athletics, uh, definitely. But there's also an unglamorous side. The 4 a.m. flights out of Dulles after a tough <laughs> loss, and we get home at 7 a.m., <laughs> All of that. Uh, what is it that you think? I mean, drives you. What? What is the? Because the, the hours are crazy, and and I don't think anybody that's never n- not worked in this industry really understands the total commitment to a family, to the lifestyle. Why do we do this? What? What? What's your answer to that when you're
2: asked? Um. I kind of think of being in athletics as. Um, when you, when you go on a vacation that just wears you out, where you're super tired and you're exhausted, but you're able to be on vacation, it, it almost has that feel that you're, in, you're just in the excitement of a game, you're preparing for a game, you're working with great individuals. It's all fun, it does beat you up, it does take you away from your family. But you look back and you go you know what overall that was a, that's just just been a great experience. so um, it's it's just uh, it's just the environment um, that you're involved with. Um, i I look back and there's there's many days where I wasn't able to spend with my kids, but um, you know that's just a the trade that you make when you're involved with a career that you just never feel like you have to go to work.
1: Yeah, you, you find a way to bring your kids into you it. Oh, it I've work. seen yeah. I've seen Paul Drew's little munchkins running around handing out stats at a game or yeah. you know, yours have been in the in the locker room, in the weight room, in yeah. the in the training room, it's it's one of those things you just have to figure out. And the they get a
2: benefit from it, too. Yeah, Yep, they've handed out a lot of water. Yeah.
0: You've uh, been through so many games, probably a hard question to answer, but some of your memorable games that you've been a part of and seen in your time at Weber State? Well, some of the best games I
2: I can remember. I just love the idea when we went back and whipped it on Nevada, Reno, and football after they stole that game from us and had to. <laughs> The uh, biggest comeback right. in NCAA history. We got to go back and back the next them year it again beat a couple of years were, in a row. Yeah, and the FBS team. Those were that was a really good win. Michigan State was was an amazing win. And basketball. In
0: basketball,
2: yeah, in the NCAA a tournament, tournament. Yeah, I was there. You had the, the the had the best seat in the house. Absolutely, uh, the uh, best seat in the house. It was. Uh, you know that that was kind of a dream come true for all of our players. Yeah. You know they, you talk like you know we we've got to win this one, and you try to stay as positive you can as you can. But to really believe that you were going to actually win that game is really only believable in the last seven seconds that we had, and we had the ball, and we were shooting it. So, so that was uh, that was a good win, the North
0: Carolina win in basketball. That was that was really good. Yeah, so many good players. Huh? It's just and you, and you keep in touch with. I know so many. You've helped us with alumni events and things, and you just you have a way of connecting with so many former players. Yeah, it's, it's who have
1: come to your mind as memorable uh, relationships over the years that you've had with former players. Um, there's so many. I know.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of them that have that have moved away that um, that you don't get. You know, who I see almost every year um, or any time we go to California is Anthony McGowan. Yeah. And he's a he's a true fan. I mean, he brings his family, brings his kids and his wife to all the games. We, anytime we're we close saw him to in him, UCLA, I remember that. Yeah. we're close to him, he he shows up. Um, there's a there's a lot of players in town. Um, I'm trying
0: to think of their names, but, but so neat though that you've been a part of all that. You've I believe you had you've worked for six football head coaches and three basketball head coaches in your time here and. So talk They're about all that. so different, right?
1: I think it's, talk about, so you've served on a lot of hiring committees too because yeah. you see the ins and outs, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, what's your sense of the magic sauce that makes a coach really good? And then i got to follow up about winning and losing because you're kind of my litmus test every year on how we're going to do. Talk about talk about the, the qualities that it takes to be a good coach and, and maybe one or two things that you see that, Keep coaches
2: from being as good as they can be. Uh, you know, I uh, I've kind of learned not to comment too much about the skills <laughs> of coaching uh, over the years, but but um, you know the the coaches that um, that can really um, portray to the players that they love and care about them can pretty much get a player to run through a wall for them. It just seems like if they if they've got that ability. And you can't fake it. You can't fake it. I, I think the really good coaches, on, the, on what I've learned over the years, uh, are born with that ability. It's kind of an innate ability that they learn that they have as they're coming up through the ranks. They know what their influence is, and it's really being able to connect with the kids. Uh, all coaches have all different kinds of numbers and X's and O's, but it, it's all about being able to motivate a young man and, and what that is and they all have their own abilities and skills to do it but but if you can do it you can do it yeah I get that
1: question a lot Joel where I tell people there's all kinds of ways to win there's all kinds of different approaches to be successful some are longer lasting
2: yeah
1: s- some uh, but you can shortchange things and you can be successful uh, but I, I think you're right the, the, the coaches that really connect and it's genuine they pretty much can get athletes and they can, they can put really hard things on them too yeah. and pull them back in which they
2: absolutely need they yeah. have to be yeah. challenged uh, every day and, and a, a coach that can connect can challenge them every single day and they come back and respond every day
0: you've been on so many trips and sometimes it gets monotonous because you go to the same places so many times right but there has to be some memorable trips that you've been on places that you've seen been able to go to
2: I kind of like that trip to Ireland. Mm-hmm. We went over there. We toured through Ireland. Was that with, with Coach Bagelin or, or? Okay. It was actually the very tail end of Coach A. It was the very beginning of uh, Joe Cravenson. Okay. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. So, yeah, yeah that was a really fun, fun tour. I had not been over in Europe before, so that was unique to me. That was a number of years ago. But I really liked the trips when we went and played the Boilermakers. We were... Uh, we, w- we went to Purdue and mm-hmm. played in their tournament, tournament, and then they came back and played I us, and we that. went back and yeah. played them. We, we met up with them in Alaska in the Great Alaska Shootout, when that was a big, popular, mm-hmm. one of the only early season tournaments that there were, and uh, uh, that was a fun trip. Uh, you you get to go to a lot of really neat places. Virgin islands and Bahamas South, you can, and, Yeah, you can get and still feel comfortable about where you're at and <laughs> and, and been as north as you can go without Fairbanks and, and all. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, Fairbanks was that was some. Culture. I have a picture of you with dog sledding. I think. Yeah, do, dog sledding. Was, yeah, it was there's just things options. you do on the road, right? I That's mean, right. you got to You got you, you work hard, but
1: we also have a few little things we like to do on the road that just is unique to. Well, as well, we wrap it up, so I know
0: one thing that you like to do in your spare time, at least you used to a lot, was running, right? How many yeah. marathons did you have you run in? Uh, I ran 30 marathons. 30? 30, 30 wow. marathons. I, I know all the time as we were on the trip, you'd, you'd wake up early, you'd just go running for miles. Yeah. You'd say, oh, I ran six miles this morning. I mean, just like nothing. Anyway. Yeah, one of the things that,
1: that Beth loves about her husband and one of the things that drives her crazy, because I spend a lot of time with Joel's yes. wife, is his passion for things. Once he decides he's going to do something... <laughs> He'll yeah. deep dive in and learn everything, like a beekeeper. He's a beekeeper. He's a beekeeper. Who knew? It's true. And he'll find out everything you can find out
0: about bees or, or so whatever it is. And you were in the Boston Marathon when there was the bombing.
2: Yeah, I ran, right? I ran in 2009, mm-hmm. and then I ran in, in 2013, which was during the, bomb. the bombing. How about and about um, And I was close. Um, I, I was there running with our, our um, faculty Rep and Craig Olberg okay. yeah. and I thought he had a real good chance of being in the bomb. He had he was just finishing, and I was a block away and felt it, uh, saw the saw the explosion and felt it and knew that he was there just finishing. His mom was there, his wife and his sister were all at the finish line and they could have easily all been in the middle of it. They just barely escaped it. Wow. They had just walked off and we're standing right next to it. So that that was a scary mm. scary time and and uh, but right.
0: are your marathon days done or are you
2: yeah? Yeah, I th- I'm I think my marathon days are are done. You got an injury of
0: yourself a few years it's ago kind too. Got a few injuries, yeah. the old trainer can't fix. Got right? a
2: few <laughs> <laughs> injuries and my biggest injury is age it's unfortunate that we get old, but uh, running's been just a great thing, great release uh, for me. So I, I've found other things that are a little bit slower and less impactful.
1: I've only got one thing left. <laughs> and, and then uh, <laughs> So Joel is my litmus test on how we're going to do And the coaches probably aren't – by the time we get done with this, they're probably – because they, they're very ADD and they'll tune out in the first 10 minutes. But <laughs> right. I can go to Joel before a season and say, okay, how are we going to be this year? And and give me a number, which we never talk about, right? <laughs> but usually, I, if I really pin him down, he's within one or two wins of where we really you. will finish. So how, how do you I mean, you're in every practice, you're in every situation. How is it that you kind of assess uh, based on your years of experience? Because you're, you're pretty darn good at it.
2: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that. It's it's uh, it's kind of a feel that you get because we live with these players. Uh, I hear all their talk. I know what their mentality is. Kind of know how smart they are. Kind of know what their challenges are. Uh, what their dedication is. I get to see their faces when they're turned away from the coaches. There's a lot of things that you can kind of focus in on and be able to tell uh, how they compare with teams that you've seen in the past and um and I I've been surprised at some teams I was really surprised I I thought we I thought Randy's first year here was he was just unbelievable I thought it was maybe just, his
1: best coaching
2: I'm telling you year it was, ever we had we had a a scrappy team kind of put together and it and it looked it didn't look so good and I'm, we we ended up playing we ended up playing really well and, and just being really successful in that season. Uh, but most of the time, I'm feeling pretty comfortable about the sense that you get. And I think the coaches feel the same. Thing. Yeah. yeah. They, they they know what their they know what their hurdles are and they know what their challenges are going to be. And uh, they just try to overcome them. And if you can, then you're surprised.
1: That's what they love about what they yeah. do is, is yeah. being able to be a little bit better or a lot better than what they yeah. they think just.
0: The baseline is. He's Joe Bass. We call him Dr. Bass. Head athletic trainer, assistant, associate AD at Weber State. Thanks so much for spending some time and talking with us. If Steve Klauke were here, I'm sure he'd ask you for one of your famous words that you give him before every game. Yeah. Do, do people know
2: this? Yeah. Yeah. Probably not. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. I uh, I give Steve a, a word. Word of the day. A word of the day that he has not it's it a tough word. Broadcasts—they're tough. Yes. So when you hear a tough word, that might have been the word that I gave him to. He has to fit it in. So working into his broadcast, he loves that challenge. Yes, he does. Uh, so you do too. <laughs> yeah, it's so kind of fun to, for him to report back and hear, hear yeah. how he figured out a way to get that. That's in. right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Well, thanks for all you do for our student athletes and keeping them uh, being able to play and healthy and all that, and, and for sharing your memories of, of your time here at Weber State. It's, uh, Great to talk with you. Okay, appreciate it. Go ahead. Okay.